Let me tell you what I love about this this podcast journey that we're on. And by the way, thank you so much for for joining us. I don't care what platform you use, just as long as you use Apple or Google or Spotify, whatever, and and let your friends know what you're doing. So one of the things I love most about this podcast journey, I can talk to anybody I want to talk to. And the only people that you will see me do a joint appearance with are people I actually want to appear with. So I have, I would say, almost as much freedom as a Canadian trucker. And thank you very much for sharing what you're about to share. Now, for many years on talk radio, my number one guest, my most frequent and regular guest, was a lawyer and author, newspaper columnist, and the head of one of the, the best public relations agencies in the country called Daisy Group. And his name is, is Warren Kinsella. And uh, I've now got him on two Fridays in a row in this little experiment of ours. And so far, so good. Warren Kinsella, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Now, I have told uh, everyone that you have a, a special, uh, very, very unique Hanukkah message. This is the first official day of uh, Hanukkah. On this uh, Friday would be the, the second candle. First candle would have been uh, last night. Eight, uh, eight menorahs, eight, uh, eight candle candelabra, nine actually. There's eight candles and there's a, another little container for the, uh, for the candle that you used to, to light all the other candles. I want to talk about uh, what went down at uh, Congress this week with the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and the and UPenn, University of Pennsylvania, so three uh, Ivy League schools, and, and how they had a tough time answering what most of us would think of as a very easy question. I also want to talk about uh, Pierre Polito, one of the uh, one of the tweets that I sent out on on, uh, on Pierre Polito, Pierre, uh, Pierre Polyev. I don't know how I would mix him up with the uh, the <laughs> president of Quebec. Or <laughs> that wasn't just a mistake. That was a whopper of a mistake. In any case, it wasn't the whopper. It was Big Macs and other food from McDonald's that um, Polyev was bringing in. He created a, a tweet about that, and I, I did uh, I did my own. Uh, a tweet on it. I want to discuss that as well. And of course, anything else that you have uh, uh, th that you want to discuss. But Warren Kinsella, let's start out with why uh, you've been sending out Hanukkah messages and what Hanukkah means to you and what you think it does or doesn't mean to the mayor of Calgary, who's gotten herself into a, a, a major kerfuffle over Hanukkah. Yeah, like uh, I am an Irish Catholic, Charles, as you know, and um, what I know of of Hanukkah, it, it's much like a Christmas tree. You know, the lights are there to communicate uh, love and enlightenment to the world, you know, sending out the, that light. And um, that's it. And it has nothing to do with a ceasefire or the IDF or any of that. It's just about, you know, love and enlightenment. And um, the mayor of Calgary, like the mayor of Moncton, New Brunswick, before her, decided that she would not participate in the lighting ceremony. Unlike, and I'm a Calgarian, unlike pretty much every single Calgary mayor I can ever remember growing up in Calgary, uh, participated in the lighting ceremony. And it's not a big deal. You know, there's little kids there and they have contests and there's some singing and, you know, they hand out some good kosher food. And it's just nice. It's not a big deal. And she decided that it was political and uh, removed herself from that. And maybe she didn't intend this, but the consequence has been, along with a, just an avalanche of criticism that she's received, 
is she's the one who's politicized it. She is the one who has taken something that was innocent and frankly beautiful and then turned it into something that was political and divisive. And uh, same thing happened in, in Moncton, same thing happened in Virginia, same thing happened in East London, anywhere where a local municipal leaders decided they weren't going to participate in this innocent ceremony, they've made things uh, like significantly worse and made people feel crummy. And, you know, I think this is said often, but I, I say it with all of my heart in this case, shame on the mayor of Calgary, shame on her. So Hanukkah got started thousands of years ago in Israel. Is yep. that the problem that some of these politicians have, that if they acknowledge Hanukkah, that they have to acknowledge the fact that it's a thousands-year-old tradition and that Israel did exist thousands of years ago? I know some of them have a problem with the, the, the fact that Israel exists today. It's an embarrassment to them or something. But, but is this the fundamental problem that they have to pretend in order to side with what you call Team Hamas. They have to pretend that Israel is only about half a century old. It was created in the 1940s and that there never was a Jewish homeland there before. And then to celebrate Hanukkah means to put a lie to, to that lie. I mean, is that the issue? I, and I'm very glad you have asked the question in that way. Um, maybe you picked up on what I did. Like everybody who's Jewish and all the people who are supporters of the Jewish community, in light of what's been happening in Moncton and Calgary and elsewhere, have really felt it important to communicate happy Hanukkah messages on their social media platforms. And it's been nice. And there's all kinds of different designs you can get and so on. And I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about the very point that you just raised. And I, I one of the most um, insidious and evil things that's being done um, since October 7th and before, is to suggest that Israel are, uh, Israelis are interlopers, that they don't belong there, that they're not indigenous to that land, to that place. So what I did is I went and I found a depiction, an ancient depiction of Hanukkah candles that predates Christ, goes back <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of years. And that's what I put on my social media platforms because I wanted to communicate to people, subtly I guess, that Israel has always been there. The Israeli people, the Hebrews, have always been there. And that those who suggest otherwise are misreading hi history, and they may be doing it innocently, but I think too often since October 7th, they're doing it with a malevolent intent, and they should be called out. So uh, just to be uh, clear, uh, Israel was founded just a couple of years after the end of the Second World War, so it was founded uh, a couple of years after 1945. 47, 48, depending on how you look at the numbers. I don't want to get too technical about this. The United Nations gave permission for a Jewish state in 47. It was officially founded in, in 1948. Uh, so I said about about half a century, about 70, about 70 years now. That's the official uh, Jewish state, modern Israel. But the Jewish homeland has been there for thousands of years, and and, and Hanukkah is, is is proof positive of that. So Warren Kinsella, that. that the, the whole idea of not acknowledging that the state exists or not acknowledging that Jews uh, existed there thousands of years ago seems kind of crazy. It seems crazy for another reason. And let me just appeal to your Christianity on this one, your Christian brain, your, your Christian heart. Uh, there, there would not have been a Jesus had there not have been a Jewish people in that part of the world. Am I missing something? No, Christ was a Jew. 
Christ was a rabbi, in fact. He was a teacher. At all relevant times, he was Jewish. And um, Christianity is a sect of Judaism. We come from the Jews. And, you know, you and I can spend this podcast and many other discussions trying to figure out anti-Semitism. I've been writing about it for just about 35 years, and I still haven't figured it out. Um, but obviously it is a big problem in um, the world now, just not just in our country, not just with things as simple as a menorah lighting, but at the level of higher education, um, at the level of our national politics, our local politics, but, and terrible evil things are happening. You know, I, I, I've got a column about this in Post Media on the weekend. And, um, you know, the denial of the rapes, of the sexual violence that took place on October 7th and the sexual violence that's been perpetrated on the hostages uh, since October 7th. Like, uh, you know, terrible, terrible things have happened. And it's incumbent upon all of us to acknowledge that and to not re-victimize the victims. Uh, but that, you know, is again a manifestation of the anti-Semitism that we're seeing everywhere these days. So I need to say something about... Um... And I'll call it public relations, and I'm not trying to um, diminish w- what it is, but it is public relations. Hamas, in many ways, is winning the public relations war because while most people have heard about uh, the rapes, they've heard about the murders, they've heard about the massacre, they haven't seen the the ugly and and very very difficult video. It is available if you try hard to find it on the net. You can you can find some of it, but you can't find the, the graphic details. However, you can find. 24-7, whether it's on CNN or MSNBC, Fox, CBC, CTV, everyone has video of what's currently happening in Gaza. I cannot speak to everyone who has my heritage, but I can tell you that for yours truly and many others that I know of, the only thing more difficult for us than October 7th is seeing what's going on in Gaza right now. But I'm not a military expert. I know that Hamas has to be defeated and deleted. If I knew of an easier way to do it than what's being done, God bless anyone who could come up with it. I am not the IDF. I'm not the American Special Forces or the the British or the French Forces or the Canadian Forces, and I do not pretend to be anywhere above my own pay grade. I am a non-military person. I'm just a civilian. Warren Kinsella, is this something you think about? Not because it's difficult on the emotions, but because real lives are being lost every few minutes in Gaza. Many of them are children. Do you think there's an easier way of taking out Hamas, disabling them, an easier way than what the Israelis are doing right now?
Gents, sorry, we lost the audio. Okay, I'm now hearing you, Dean. Yeah, I can hear you. We lost Warren. So his Oh, I'm sorry. Went, okay. No, it's okay. His screen. Warren, can you hear us? We can edit this and pick it up at the last second. You okay. can hear us, right, Warren? Okay, so we, we just lost your audio, so that means something clicked. There's a, there's a wheel at the bottom of your screen, uh, settings wheel. If you could press that. Yeah, we're only 10 minutes into this, so we can restart it as well, uh, depending on your timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never had that before. I didn't know whether yeah. it was our system or no, no, no. It's it, so his his screen glitched and we lost the video for a second and the audio. Didn't oh, go. I see. Okay, that means some a setting changed on its own due to something going okay. on in the background, yeah. uh, which is no big deal. I can see the corn on the pillar there. Um, so we can we can restart this. What I'll do is I'll stay here, uh, Warren. If you can hear us, um, pop out, log out, log back in one more time. We should be able to get you back up and running. Um, we'll so if he just that. hits the link again, then he'll everything will return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, it's amazing when that happens. How I start to sweat, like I'm at yeah. my own wedding. Um, I'm just telling him to hit his link again. Yeah, there we go. Hi. Uh, yeah. okay. There we go. But it's there not is. showing. I've got to flip it. That's okay. I don't have. Uh, Okay, so I don't know what to do here, guys. Sorry. Like, I'm not used to this platform. <laughs> I'm used to Zoom and the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, um, like, I don't, know how, I don't know how to flip it. I see your okay. glasses, Warren, so uh, it should be yeah. working if you get to exactly where you were before. Yeah, just uh, a little flip at the bottom of the screen. Okay, I heard something there. Okay, guys, I don't, could you just, somebody tell me quickly, how yeah. do I reverse the, the, the lens? How do I do okay, that so in this platform? Yeah, you bet. So is this, you're on your phone, correct? Yep. Okay, so you can do one of two things. You can just simply turn it around uh, and, and hook it back into the, the um, a folder you were using. Yeah. Uh, or what you can do is at the bottom of the screen, there's like a semi-circle uh, yep. bottom right screen. If you just press that, it looks like it, it'll flip the camera angle. Bottom right hand side of your phone screen. Uh, no, all I've got, I've got somebody's web page. That's what I'm being shown. Okay. Um, so can you turn the camera around and try and just put the lens? Well, sure, but the, now I'm not okay, going to so know if know. it's. Yeah, but I don't. Now I don't know if, like, okay. There we go. I don't you know. You look great. You yeah, look great perfect. now. That's okay, perfect. but well, we're not going. We don't have to start over, do we? No, 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 we're still recording. Okay, good. We'll just, we'll just edit it. Okay. So, uh, okay. Chuck, if you want to pick up that last question. So I think the last question I asked was about uh, about Jesus Christ, and then Warren did his riff. Yeah, right? yeah. So okay. go ahead and pick it up there, right. Warren. So I'll pick, it up, I'll pick it up on the same question. I can't remember what I said. <laughs> no, no problem. It doesn't matter. You can just say whatever you want. You can want to give a shorter answer. Well, do you just do it. Maybe okay. another related yeah, I'm question. Just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just waiting for Dean to give me the okay that we can start again. Yeah, we're still recording. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Uh, so we'll, we'll start this again. We'll start this edit in three, two, one. Warren Kinsella, let me just appeal to your Christian mind and your Christian heart uh, for a moment on this business of uh, whether or not the, the Jews have been in the area, the Jewish people have been in that area for thousands of years. Isn't it true, my Irish Catholic friend and scholar, isn't it true that Jesus Christ was a Jew? 
Yeah, of course. Uh, Christ was a Jew, and uh, he was a Jewish rabbi, in fact. And Christianity um, is a sect, uh, a derivative of Judaism. Uh, we come from the Jews. And so um, that's just a fact, and, and I think one that uh, too many people don't accept for all kinds of uh, unpleasant reasons. But... Um, yeah, I, you know, that's why I think it's been so difficult to see what so many of us are seeing uh, now, which is people uh, who we had believed to be otherwise well-intentioned and who had a moral compass expressing themselves in terrible, thoughtless, cruel ways, or almost as bad, not saying anything at all about what is taking place, the acts of anti-Semitism that are taking place around Western Europe and North America, and, and, and also, you know, the, the prejudice being experienced by the Muslim community as well. Um, too many people are being silent, and they need to use their voices to, to step up and push the politicians and pu push the authorities to act. So this week at the House of Representatives on what the Americans call Capitol Hill, in the, in the great hall of democracy itself, there were three very, very intelligent and successful American women. They were the presidents of three Ivy League institutions, MIT and Harvard in Boston, and the University of, of Pennsylvania, okay? UPenn, Harvard, MIT. This is the top of the hit parade. Nobody expects people this smart to either fake or to be this daft when being asked this simple question, Warren Kinsella. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate your university's rules on bullying and harassment? All right, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate your university's rules on bullying and harassment? None of them, none of these three, MIT, UPenn, Harvard, none of them could give an affirmative response to that question. Warren Kinsella, what say you? Well, I studied law and business at Harvard. Um, and when I watched their performance, uh, I kind of wished that I hadn't uh, because it was a shameful episode. And like, I was not inclined to be sympathetic to their interrogator. Their interrogator is a Trump-loving Republican uh, congressperson who's kind of awful. But she did ask a very simple question to which there is an obvious answer. You know, does promoting genocide against Jews violate your university's code of conduct? The answer to that in all three cases, MIT, UPenn, and Harvard, is yes. Yes, it does. In, in some jurisdictions like Canada, it's against the criminal law to do that. So it's easy. And the three of them dissembled and prevaricated and dodged and weaved and said, in every single instance, it depends on the context. It depends on the context. It does not. It does not depend on the context. There is no context when you're being asked about whether genocide against the Jewish people is wrong. It's an easy answer. Yes, it's wrong. It's against the rules. Anyway, the three of them have been scrambling in the days since because there has been an explosion of outrage, including uh, from very prominent donors to those universities, including by people who are also in leadership at those universities, saying not good enough. So I, my suspicion is the three of them will not survive. But, you know, stepping back from this, Charles, it is symptomatic of what is taking place everywhere these days. 
since October 7th. Like the University of Alberta, the sexual assault center at the University of Alberta denied that rapes took place on October 7th. A former NDP member of the provincial legislature here in Ontario, Sarah Jema, did the same thing. A Victoria City councillor, Susan Kim, did the same thing. Like these are egregious, overt, indisputable anti-Semitic acts that are taking place by people with power, with people with authority. And it like it is essential that we push back and 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 protest what is taking place because the Jewish people are being re-victimized again. So let's uh, talk about that uh, C word, context. What's the context for the difficulty that these university presidents and, and others, what's the context for their difficulty in responding in the affirmative to a simple question about anti-Semitism? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Like, I, I find it, I was astonished that these three very um, successful, brilliant women were so stupid and and thoughtless to give answers like that. I, I can't contextualize that, but me, that, that's me, the word let, they used. Let me posit uh, at least one theory. I've got a couple, but let me posit at least one. They don't want to offend those students on their campuses who have been calling for genocide. They don't have the, whatever you want to call it, uh, the courage, uh, the fortitude, the intellectual honesty to condemn their own students and possibly, of course, donors because those students are paying very, very expensive fees and they're coming from somewhere and that somewhere is also uh, giving those students, uh, giving those universities major contributions. So my take on it is it's both public relations, not wanting to offend some of their own students and professors for that matter, and not wanting to offend those people who may be supporting those students with money, money All right. and PR. What, what, what's your I see, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, because I'm very hesitant, as you know, to speculate. I'm not a shrink. I can't figure out what's going on inside their heads. No. However, we all can see what's going on inside, on inside their bank accounts, not personally, but, but corporately at the universities. So in Canada, for example, uh, and I, my very first book, uh, I'd wave it around to show to you, was in part about how outlaw Middle Eastern nations like Libya, Iraq, Iran, Syria, and so on were jamming students, Charles, I think you even read my book, um, into Canadian universities and colleges. And the university and colleges were very, very happy about that and enthusiastic about it because it has meant a windfall in terms of the bottom line. Um, and so to the extent that we are now looking at possibly as many as a million foreign students being placed in Canadian universities and colleges next year with a benefit in excess of a billion dollars. So I think um, everybody recognized that that was getting out of control because at places like Concordia and York and so on, we're seeing that a lot of these students are not applying themselves to their studies and are perhaps more preoccupied with, you know, um, rallies in support of um, uh, Palestine or Hamas. And so Mark Miller, I thought to his credit, uh, the minister responsible federally said this week, enough. Um, we are going to start pulling this back because quite apart from the fact that we have a housing crisis in the country and we can't accommodate them, um, we've got too much of this taking place and the universities and colleges need to adjust their budgets accordingly. 
So just to be fair, I think we need to stipulate that many of the students and professors and lecturers and other members of these campuses in Canada are not from Middle Eastern countries. They, many of them are born right here in Canada. Isn't that true? Yeah, Southeast Asia probably would be the most predominant number. But, you know, when I wrote on Holy Alliances in 1992, uh, and Joe Clark, you know, in 1988, when he was uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, said that Canada was becoming a backfill, quote unquote, for students from places like Libya. And at that point, I think I calculated that there were several million dollars at stake for about 900 students. Well, it's exploded since then. It's become big, big business to the extent that some of these colleges and universities have vice presidents whose job is only one thing, which is to go and cultivate um, uh, admissions in uh, those parts of the world. And like, that's a good thing, right? It, it creates diversity in Canada. It enlightens those students, you know, the universities and colleges benefit. However, you know, as I was talking to one Concordia prof uh, who's a friend and she's of the Jewish faith and she was just stricken with anguish and fear by what we were observing at uh, Concordia in recent weeks, terrible things taking place, targeting of Jewish students. And I said, well, what the hell is going on? Who are these students? And she said to me, my colleagues and I have spoken. We don't know who these kids are. We don't recognize them. We're not even sure that they are students. And that was what I wrote about in Unholy Alliances, is that many of these Libyan students weren't students at all. They were here to cause trouble. Uh, and in some cases, they were accused by the FBI credibly of being involved in acts of terror. So, you know, we need to be a bit more, apply a bit more critical judgment about who we're letting in um, to study, much in the way we do with people who are seeking immigrant or refugee status. So a couple of things. Uh, I went to McGill in the 1970s. It was uh, during the time of the Vietnam War. There were many demonstrations on campus and many of the students who were demonstrating weren't students at all, and I would have to say that the most radical and, yes, violent among uh, those who came onto the campus to demonstrate uh, weren't students at all. They were connected to the cause, the anti-Vietnam War cause, but they were not actually connected to the university, and there were lots of investigations taking place. Um, it also needs to be said that in many parts of the world, including some of those Middle Eastern countries uh, where some of these students are coming from, Holocaust denial is not fringe at all. I think I need you to come in here, Warren. Is it true that Holocaust denial in many Middle Eastern countries right now and some others is very much mainstream thought? Yeah, and it's taught at a very early age, um, along with radicalism and, and legitimization of violence. Yeah, the denial of the Holocaust. Why do they do that? Uh, you know, this is one thing I have written about extensively. The Holocaust is one of the greatest crimes in human history. It was an occasion, provable, um, demonstrated with evidence. It was the, one of the greatest acts of mass murder in human history. In order to re rehabilitate the reputation of Adolf Hitler and Nazism and fascism, it, you know, it's logical, it became imperative for the forces of hate to deny that the Holocaust took place. They were never going to get past that with public opinion if they were associated with that. So too, we're seeing the same sort of thing in Middle Eastern nations, uh, these outlaw nations like Iran um, and, uh, and uh, you know, possibly like elements within Palestine, where they are denying the Holocaust because, you know, the, the Holocaust in part explains why the Jewish state exists. You know, in 1948, 
you know, as Golda Meir so memorably said, we have nowhere else to go. You know, Canada, it was easier in the 50s to get into Canada if you were a Nazi, a former Nazi, than if you were a Jew. So, it, it, you know, the Holocaust, there's a line you can draw directly from the fact of the Holocaust to the creation of the Jewish state. And I, I think that's why you're seeing some of these bastards in the surrounding area denying the reality of the Holocaust. If they do that, they can deny the reality of, of Israel. So just to tie all this uh, together, uh, the university presidents uh, may have been appealing to people who come from countries where Holocaust denial is very much mainstream thinking. And so the idea that any of these uh, students would be advocating uh, for the genocide of Jews doesn't comport with the idea that there's no such thing as genocide of Jews. There's no such thing as that kind of uh, philosophy. Uh, so let me move from that uh, to something dramatically different. Uh, I sent out a tweet uh, referencing Pierre Polyev and uh, uh, bringing uh, McDonald's uh, food into the House of Commons because they were doing an all-night session, and the threat is they'll just uh, keep doing sessions 24-7 uh, and uh, ruin Christmas uh, for the Prime Minister and everybody else, et cetera, et cetera. Now, they've done this kind of thing before where they've threatened to, to do massive marathons and filibusters. They generally go for a couple of days, the media gets tired of it, they get tired of it, and it goes away. Warren Kinsella, you've done so many different uh, roles in your life in, in public affairs. One of them has been uh, to uh, be a, a special assistant uh, to various uh, cabinet ministers and, of course, to Jean Chrétien, the prime minister himself. What is the damn point here? Well, you do filibusters. Sometimes, uh, you know, they're genuine. And um, to object to uh, some legislation or regulation to prevent it from happening. Uh, so the Liberals did that with the GST. You know, when we came in, when I was Mr. Kretschner's special assistant, and he was leader of the opposition, uh, Paul Martin and Sheila Copps and all of them were doing a filibuster in the Senate and reading the phone book and so on. And you're quite right. At a certain point, um, the media move on and it's not really effective anymore and then you know the gst came into fruition so like everybody does it as as a political tactic does it really work i, I don't think so it probably helps you with your base for a while it certainly torments the other guy or gal which is always a lot of fun but you know at the end of the day if there's a parliamentary majority and that's effectively what trudeau has got as a consequence of his deal with jagmeet singh um, his will is going to prevail. So I, I think Polyev knows that. So this is a bit of performative politics. So something about his uh, performance, which was picked up on the camera, he had come back from a, a conservative fundraiser. I don't know how many millions of dollars uh, they, they, they got in this fundraiser in Ottawa. But uh, he was uh, flailing about. Uh, he was um, uh, yelling. This is Polyev himself. And I'm going to use a term that I rarely use publicly, but it's the only way to describe how he looked. Uh, Warren Kinsella, the opposition leader, looked shit-faced. I've never seen him look like this. I'm not accusing him of, of lacking discipline or having a, a drinking problem or whatever, but he did seem to have some sort of problem last night. Do, do you want to care to comment on that? No, I don't, because I didn't see it. So I would just be speculating, and speculation doesn't help you. All right, uh, then... Well, then We'll move Sorry, on I'm not, I'm not going to do it because I didn't see it. So, no, no, no I'm no, not no, going to. No, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to speculate on something that uh, 
that, that you have not uh, seen, but it's, it's on social media and many, many eyeballs, of course, have seen it. And whether or not they're fans of Pauly, they're asking uh, why the hay is uh, he allowing himself and why are they, the party, uh, his colleagues, uh, why are they allowing him on camera uh, looking uh, like someone who is uh, very much out of control and, and, and possibly uh, someone who imbibed uh, too much. Anyway, I'll move, I'll move on from there. Need to ask you this question uh, about um, Parliament right now. Um, you've got Pierre Polyev making the case every day in Parliament, that's part of what this filibuster is about, is that uh, Trudeau has to absolutely remove uh, the carbon tax or else uh, they won't allow him to have a vacation, they won't allow him to, to pass legislation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, at some point, uh, just as the media and politicians may get bored of their filibuster, at, at some point, will this carbon tax lose gas as, as more and more people learn that the idea that every farmer is spending gazillions of dollars on the carbon tax, that uh, indigenous people are spending gazillions of dollars and that it's costing the average Canadian and it's driving inflation, food inflation, housing inflation. I mean, at some point when the truth emerges that this, 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 this big monster in, 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 in many ways on many days is much more of an illusion and a political device than anything else, at some point, does he move on from the carbon tax? No, I don't think he will because it works for him. Like there's, you know, everybody's to blame here on the carbon tax. For starters, one of Trudeau's mistakes was calling it a carbon tax in the first place. As soon as you call something a tax, people don't like it. What they should have called it is what it is, which is a penalty on pollution. If you pollute, you're going to pay a penalty. That's what they should have, you know, I'm in the public relations business in part. Nomenclature is important. Words are important. That's what they should have called it. The, in fairness to Trudeau, um, you know, he had a mandate to do it. He said in his platforms he was going to have a carbon tax, and he got elected three times, and he was pretty clear about it. And the weird thing about public opinion with the carbon tax is when you ask people the question, and this is all Canadians, East to West, young and old, you know, Tory, liberal, you name it. Do you believe that there should be a penalty, a financial penalty for pollution? Pretty much everybody says yes. And then the next question, obviously, is are you prepared to pay it personally? <laughs> and the answer came back, no, I don't want to pay it. Somebody else should pay it. And that is where the Trudeau guys got into trouble and most notably in the province of Newfoundland, where a lot of people use the worst form of uh, heating fuel, which is oil. And they took uh, the carbon tax off of it because they were experiencing a plummet in public support. And as soon as they did that, they opened the door to you know conservative premiers across the country saying what they're saying, which is, well, wait a second, now I want it taken off of you know propane and I want to take it off of natural gas and so on. So. You know, I think the, the carbon tax for which Trudeau had a mandate, he had a mandate to do it. Democracy ruled on it. He said he, they said we could do, he could do it. It's doomed. Because as soon as you open the door to an exception to a taxation, the taxation cannot survive. It has to so, be applied universally. So farmers don't pay a carbon tax, a carbon tax exemption to farmers on 97% of the fuel they use. And yet Pierre Polyev is out there saying that the reason food is expensive even food that much of which isn't coming from Canada anyway, that the food is, is much more expensive than it, it needs to be 
because of the carbon tax. I'm sorry, the only polite way I can say this is that's intellectually dishonest. Well, the uh, well, no, but it is true that if you're paying a carbon tax, if you're paying a penalty on the fuel that you use to for a truck that moves goods to market, uh, it is making things more expensive because the guy who's driving the truck just he's not going to swallow that. He's going to pass it on to the consumer. So it is true that there's a cost associated with it. But that's why I wanted to get back to the paradox I mentioned a minute ago. When you ask people about it, they were okay with that. You know, they they voted for that. Just when it started to manifest itself at a personal level, that's when they didn't like it. And that's where, you know, Polyev is zeroed in on that. You could call it selfishness. You could call it solipsism, whatever you want. Um, it's Is it intellectually dishonest? Probably, maybe. I don't know. But it's working, you know, because Polyev's ahead by like at least 15 points in every single poll you look at. Right now, he is absolutely crucifying Justin Trudeau politically. He's now, killing I just, him. I, I, was just, I was looking at the substance, Warren. 97% of, of the fuel that carbon that farmers use on the farm does not have a carbon tax. They've got an exemption. Is there carbon tax on the fuel that's used to truck stuff, goods to the superstore and to Safeway and to Sobeys and to Loblaws and everywhere else? Absolutely. And it amounts, as far as food inflation goes, it amounts to 0.03%, so less than half of a percent. So to make the case that the reason we've got significant food inflation in Canada or housing inflation, uh, to make the case that it's connected to the carbon tax is, sorry, it's a bridge too far. Yeah, well, I, everybody disagrees with you, right? And that's, that's politics. Well, it, I'm, I'm not giving you the politics, I'm just giving you the arithmetic. Yeah, and I'm giving you the politics. Like, I'm not an economist. And, um, you know, I wasn't, I always felt that from the get-go, they were approaching the carbon tax in the wrong way, you know, up to and including the how they were I describing it. But it, I, I, it's... I don't, uh, I don't disagree with your explanation of the politics. I, I guess one of the things I want to say here is, one of the things that's wrong with our politics, and you can agree or disagree with this, is I think that many people, including, I have to say, fellow media professionals are so lazy to explain stuff because there's this thinking that if you have to explain anything in the uh, universe that we live in where people have a low, low attention span, you have to explain anything, you lose people. Isn't, isn't that true? Yeah, but, you know, you know, simplifying things so people, you can reach people, the greatest number of eyes and ears, that to me is not disrespecting them, that's respecting them. You know, you and I and people like us are in the business of taking complex matters and and explaining it to people in a way that's relevant in their lives. And that that's an obligation that we've got. And it's not talking down to people, it's respecting them and, and trying to reach them in a way that they find relevant and understandable. And, and I guess that's what politicians do too, is try and tell stories in a way that people find compelling. But what I find interesting about this subject matter, the carbon tax, is in different ways for both Pierre, uh, Pierre Freud and Slip, Justin Trudeau and Pierre Polyev, it's been a winner. You know, for Trudeau, he got elected because, in part, because he had it. Now he's losing because of that. And Polyev, who lost, whose party lost three times because they didn't have it, is now winning because he opposes it. It's weird. And it certainly tells you voters are pretty fickle.
Well, I, I, I agree with you on, on everything you say in principle, and our job is to simplify things. But I think that when we simplify things uh, to the point where we're being simplistic, and I'll define that as distorting the substance of the reality, when we want to uh, pretend that if um, a, a steak is, is $14 a pound and it would be only $4 a pound if it wasn't for the carbon tax, at that point, I, I think we're, we're engaged in enabling snake oil. But I'll give you the last word on that. Well, I mean, uh, you know, this thing started, it fell apart in Newfoundland and it was liberals who rose up against it. It wasn't conservatives, it had nothing to do with Pierre Polyev. Soon as Trudeau lost liberals in Newfoundland and Atlanta, Canada, that's when the whole shebang fell apart and the wheels fell off the bus. So it's it, this one is actually now cross-partisan lines in a bizarre way to the extent that Polyev is ahead. You know, he's broken, he's breached the red wall. He's ahead in Atlantic Canada, something I thought I'd never see. And just uh, for the record, I have always thought the carbon tax was a ridiculous idea because I don't believe that it does what it's supposed to do. Uh, the carbon tax, uh, the, whatever, whether you call it a carbon tax or price on pollution, it's supposed to make us want to use less fuel. And that's absolutely ridiculous. I live in one of the coldest parts of Canada. I live in Manitoba. And the idea that people will stop wanting to heat their homes in the winter or that they'll stop driving their trucks in the summer, winter, spring, and fall. The idea that they will stop using fuel because they've got to pay a couple of pennies more has always been, to me, a massively absurd idea. And the political price that the Liberals pay uh, for this carbon tax, which is uh, not easily understandable for a lot of people, is is outrageously high. So I, I always thought it was a mistake, especially politically, and I, I guess I haven't, haven't changed my mind about that. Uh, Warren Kinsella, before I, I, I let you go... I want to give you the last word on any issue at all that you've written about or want to write about uh, right now that you feel the media has not paid nearly enough attention to. Anything out there? Oh, golly. Um, well, I think the thing, uh, I did another panel earlier today, and, um, you know, I didn't get asked that question. It's a tough one, but I did kind of reference it. People are super angry these days. Um, on both the left and the right. And, um, you know, you look at the United States, for example, and full disclosure, I supported Joe Biden. Uh, last time I worked for him, I worked for Hillary Clinton before that. I've got some Democratic stuff on the walls behind me here. And, um, you know, Charles, Joe Biden's got full employment, full employment. The American economy is going gangbusters. You know, they're their population is what percentage of the world's population, and they've got 40% of the world's economy. By any reasonable standard, they're doing so well. And Joe Biden's in political trouble, running against a rapist and a racist in the form of Donald Trump. Um, you know, in Canada, people are very mad at Justin Trudeau, but if you're being fair to him, our economy, as measured against other members of the G7, is doing pretty well. And we're pretty close to full employment as well. So, like, I think this is why you're seeing politicians like Polyev and Trump succeeding so well these days, is their mood matches the mood of the country, uh, the, and both countries. People are pissed off. They're angry. Even when the evidence suggests that compared to other places in the world, we're doing quite well, um, you know, the mood is quite grouchy. And I think 
um, that's revealing itself in all kinds of different ways in our politics. And it, is it dangerous? It's potentially dangerous when you're looking at a guy like like Donald Trump. Um, and uh, so hopefully, hopefully the media starts paying some attention to that because I think it's a very important story. Well, I'm glad you brought it up, Warren. Uh, and without getting too personal here, I can just say that one of the reasons I resist uh, the uh, Donald Trumps and uh, resist uh, the Pierre Polyevs is because in the course of my life, and I can't speak for yours, but I can certainly speak for my own, the people I've known who have had power, who were decision makers, who were angry all the time and appealed to the anger button all the time, were extremely ineffective, but more important, they affected many people in their lives in a negative way, and sometimes that negativity continued in their lives, even when they stopped working with them. So on that note, I want to thank you very much for joining us. And I hope we'll do this again soon, possibly again next Friday. We'll bring back the uh, the old tradition that has carried this partnership forward for, for several decades. Warren Kinsella is the president of Daisy Group, as I said earlier, one of the most effective public relations companies in Canada. It has an incredibly diverse array of clients. He's also the person who was the president of several liberal war rooms, some effective ones in the Chrétien years. He also writes newspaper columns for Post Media, most specifically uh, the Toronto Sun, and he's an established author, and I have lost track of how many books Warren has uh, written, uh, but it's well over nine or ten. It's, it's somewhere somewhere in the teens. Warren Kinsella joining us on the Charles Adler Show podcast. Thank you for joining us. It doesn't matter to me, as I said earlier, which platform you're using, Spotify, Apple, Google, doesn't matter to me. I'm just so glad to have you with me, and I'm so glad that you're telling your friends, neighbors, and everyone in your circle about the Charles Adler Show. Bye-bye.